OWC podcast number four, an interview with Adam Angst. everyone, Tim Robertson for OWC Radio, the podcast by humans, for humans. You know, originally, uh, I want to dispel a rumor that seems to be going around. Uh, I am not, repeat, not up to take Jimmy Fallon's place on The Late Show. I heard the rumors. I've heard them. Tim's really good at the interview. Let's get him. No, I'm quite happy here at OWC Radio. Thank you. So there's a lot of a show today for your listening pleasure. I've got an interview with Adam Angst that I recorded a couple hours ago now. Fantastic guy to talk to. Really is. Um, 20 years he's been publishing tidbits. So when it comes to Mac information... He's he's a repository full of knowledge. And I always enjoy talking to Adam. I mean, he is literally a pioneer in digital publishing. Not just newsletters, but ebooks as well. And you're going to hear all about that with the interview here in a few minutes. I do got some other stuff to take care of, first of all. The last three shows have been asking for feedback, and I'm going to continue to do that, and I hope that you will be accommodating. A couple different ways to get a hold of me here and get yourself heard on the show. The first way, of course, is email podcast at maxsales.com. With that email address, you can also use it with your iPhone. So if you look at your iPhone, I went through this with uh, a couple episodes ago. We'll do it again because not everyone that was listening to the first episode is listening today. There's a little app that comes with every single iPhone called Voice Memo. If you launch that app, you'll see a little microphone. On the left-hand side of the screen is a record button right next to the VU meter, which kind of looks like a hi-fi system from the 70s and 80s. And I'll do it right now. You hit this red button, and then whatever you say is being recorded on your iPhone. And believe it or not, the quality and the clarity is really well done. Hit the button again to pause it. You've stopped recording. On the right-hand side there at the bottom is a button with three lines on it. If you click that button or push that button, and then whatever you say is being recorded. Let me pause that is a copy of all the recordings that you've done, all the voice memos that you've made with this app. So I just did one two seconds ago. And if I hit play here next to the microphone, and then whatever you say is being recorded on your iPhone. And believe it or not, the quality and the clarity is really well done. Now, it doesn't sound as great playing it through the iPhone speakers, holding it up next to a microphone, but trust me, If you listen to that recording on a pair of headphones, it sounds really good. 
So once you've recorded yourself, there's a button at the bottom that says share. After you click share, one of the great features that says email, simply email that recording to podcast at maxsales.com and you, yes, you will be on the show. And I would appreciate it if you did it because that's less talking I have to do. No, that's not the reason. The reason is I'd really like to hear from the listeners. And I'm going to play two of those recordings recorded just that way here in just a few minutes. Another way to follow us is on Twitter. It's OWC Radio on Twitter. And last but certainly not least is our phone. 1-801-938-5559. I need to check the outgoing message on that, by the way, because uh, I've had that phone number for a long time. And it may be for my last show. That might be the uh, the uh, voice memo on there. So I need to change that. Because I took it with me. It's here on OWC Radio now. Just a reminder that uh, February 11th through the 13th, 2010, about a month from now, Macworld Apps, Macworld, Macworld Expo, I almost said apps. I don't know why. I have apps on my, on my mind today. Macworld Expo. San Francisco, California, Moscone Center. You guys know where it's at. Booth 1665. Stop by. Talk to the people at the booth. I'll be there occasionally. I'll also be walking around the showroom floor interviewing a lot of people for the OWC radio. We're going to have an episode every single day starting probably on the 10th. So in February, the 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, Maybe not the 13th. We'll have a podcast release. The reason maybe not the 13th is because I'm actually going to be on the main stage during the Macworld Expo. I'm closing the show. Kind of scary. I know. So if you're going to go to the Macworld Expo, I really hope to see you. I'm going to be on the main stage for OWC Radio from 5 to 6 p.m. Saturday, February 13th. And because it's so late in the day, and as soon as that closes, they start closing the Moscone Center, I might not get that podcast released that day because I'm basically going from there, uh, grab my suitcase, my backpack, my rollaway, and heading to the airport to catch a red eye back here to Michigan. Got to get back quick. Not only do I have a family, I have work to do here on OWC Radio. Hey, do you like installing hard drives, memory, optical drives, stuff like that on your Macintosh? If you do, or if you have a lot of people that ask you how you do it, we have a free, yep, free service to offer you. If you go up to iTunes and do a search for OWC, a couple of things you're going to find. You're going to find this podcast, but you're also going to find the OWC TV installation video series. We try to put three or four new episodes of that series into iTunes every week. Eventually, we'll go through our entire back catalog and everything will be up there. We have a lot of free installation videos for you to download. Most of them are under 50 megabytes, but honestly, great quality. I downloaded a couple and actually watched it on my 46-inch LCD TV at home. In HD quality, look great. Very, very impressive. And I tell you, 
if I was going to do an install, what a great resource to have at my fingertips. So check that out if you please. And the regular OWC TV video series is coming soon. I am working on it. I'm in pre-production now. Pre-production. Let me say pre-production. Pre-production. Again, no truth to the rumors of me taking over the late show. Just put those rumors to rest. I will get to the feedback in here in just a minute. But first, as we like to do here on OWC, let's take a look at some Mac news. First one up is from MaximumNews.com. M-A-C-S-I-M-U-M news.com. It's Dennis Seller's site. Great guy, by the way. Really like Dennis Sellers. If you've never had a chance to meet him, hey, go to the Macworld Expo. Dennis is always at the Expo. He's a great guy. Uh, very down to earth. Very knowledgeable. Uh, it, it's rare when you find someone that knowledgeable, that down to earth, and that approachable. And it's one person. That's Dennis, though. From Maximum News, it says, Mac seeing a renaissance of sorts. In October in the United States, iMacs were the top-selling desktops for the month, according to market research group, well, I'm sorry, market researcher NPD group. And the MacBook Pro laptop was the top-selling laptop. So in October 2009, just a couple short months ago, iMacs, top-selling desktop, MacBook Pro, top-selling laptop. Wait a minute. No, I thought everyone in this recession was buying the cheap PCs, trying to squeeze every penny. Oh, wait. You mean to tell me that quality is going to win out? From the Mac Observer, <clears throat> someone that's a really good writer at the Mac Observer, and he happens to be the editor-in-chief over there as well. His name is Brian Chafin. And, you know, it gets tiring saying, oh, this person is a great guy and this person's a great guy. But this is another guy who's really great. I've, I've met Brian a number of times now. And he's one of these guys that when you meet him, you just like him. He's, he's, he's got a personality that everyone seems to enjoy being around. And a, a quick story about Brian, I was... At the Macworld Expo last year, right outside the press room. Um, I, let me take that back. I think I was actually over by the food court. And I was having a really great conversation uh, with this lady. She was very nice. And I was talking to her. Brian walks over. And so I thought I would do the gentlemanly thing to do. And I introduced this real nice lady to Brian. And Brian smiled and says, uh, yeah, that's my mom. <laughs> so now I know where Brian gets uh, uh, that from. His mom was great, and I enjoy talking to her. So, uh, Back to the news of the Mac Observer. From his the back page column, Apple officially writes off Microsoft, moves sites, moves sites to Google. I'm just going to read you the first two short paragraphs, and then I'm going to encourage you to go up to the Mac Observer, find and read this article. Well done. Uh, 
and nice job, Ryan. He writes, I wrote off Microsoft a long time ago. Except for the Mac business unit, I think Office for Mac is a great product. Seriously, though, under Steve Ballmer's leadership, Microsoft has largely floundered, moved from one blundered catch-up project to another. In a few short years, the company has gone from being a scary-ass giant that seems certain to drown the tech world in a sea of mediocrity to an embarrassing old uncle with lots of money and dreams of faded glory shambling along in a pantomime of his past accomplishments. Wow. You are the man, Brian. Go check that out. Read that. Excellent, excellent. This, we need more writing like this on the Mac web. And the last news story from Macworld Online. Security, re, uh, I'm sorry, uh, security reality check. User error. This is something that everyone should read. I think Mac users are a little bit lax on, on keeping on top of security with their Mac. Hey, it's your personal data on there. It's your pictures. It's your movie. you got to be on top of this, guys. Some security problems are due to user error or user laziness. It's not that hard to practice good system security on your Mac. But a surprising number of people, including some who should know better, don't. The, in, the second installment of their Mac security series has some basic tips on practicing safe computing. Nice job, Macworld. And again, check out those three sites, Maximum News, the Mac Observer, and Macworld. So that's our news. So let's move on now to the feedback. Both of these are audio feedback. So what I'm going to do is uh, pause the recording, drop these in, and uh, listen in with you guys. Hey there, Tim. This is uh, Eddie. I am sending my first... Uh let me turn my windshield wipers off. <laughs> I'm driving. I was just listening to your OWC podcast. I loved your MyMac, and I love uh, that you're on OWC because I'm a customer. Have been for a few years. I love their stuff. I just got a 500-gig hard drive, 7,200 RPM, and with uh, the video up there installed into my MacBook Pro with no problems at all. So looking forward to uh, more of your videos being released and your OWC podcast. Keep up the great work, Tim. Hope someday I can uh, afford to go out to San Francisco. I'm in New England right now. I used to love it when the Macworld Expos were here. Uh, but uh, anyway, someday I'll get out to San Francisco. Again, Tim, thanks a lot, and I hope to be a contributor to your show. And thank you, Eddie. Uh, drive safe, man. I know what the uh, the winter months are like in New England. I live in Michigan. I think you guys probably get about the same thing that we do. Maybe, Maybe even less. We get a lot of lake effect snow where I'm at. And honestly, Eddie, if, if you're driving and you need the window wipers, please, please don't leave me feedback. <laughs> I like the feedback. Don't get me wrong. But I want you around to listen to it in the future. Uh, but seriously, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you followed me here from uh, the, the MyMac.com podcast. And they're still going strong, Guy and David. And uh, I listen to that show as well. The installation videos, I was talking about that earlier. They really do make installing hardware easy. If you simply follow along, take your time, anybody can do it. Now, you went with the 500-gig hard drive, which I'm sure was a, a lot more space than you had before. But more importantly, at least to me, you went with the 7200 RPM. For those who don't know, the 7200 RPM means it actually spins faster than a standard laptop hard drive. 
Even the MacBook Pro that I have only has a 5400 RPM. Now with my last MacBook Pro, I believe the hard drive was 160 gigs and it was 5400 RPM. And it seemed pretty fast to me, but I was having a lot of problems over the last year or so. So I replaced the hard drive and I went with, uh, I believe it was a 500 gig, just like Eddie's. And I went with a 7200 RPM. For me anyways, I also did a clean system install. Let me, let me preface it by saying that. But with a faster hard drive and a nice clean OS install, boy, that I tell you, that, that MacBook Pro, and this was the first generation MacBook Pro. So it was only uh, dual two gigahertz only, like that's slow or something. Uh, it, it really felt faster. In fact, it felt faster than it did when it was brand new. And that was because of the 7200 RPM hard drive. So thanks for listening, Eddie. I hope uh, you contribute some more. And uh, let's jump to our next feedback. Hi, Tim. This is Scott. I listened to OWC number two, and you asked for feedback. I had a couple things. First of all, about the show itself. Uh, of course, I've listened to you on my Mac podcast in the past, and uh, I thought that compared to that, with the OWC, I thought you were a little more understated and professional sounding, yet at the same time, I thought um, keeping your sense of humor. So it seems to me like your style's appropriate for what you're doing right now there, and I find it enjoyable. Let me interrupt Scott for uh, just a second and uh, know the, the rumors of me taking over the late show from Jimmy Fallon, not true. Number two, especially, I thought you were hitting your stride already. So uh, that's a good thing. Obviously, having years and years and years of podcasting under your belt helps with that. So good work and uh, glad to glad to listen to it. It's very enjoyable. Concerning the topics, I wanted to give a little bit of feedback. I think it's interesting with rumors coming up about an upcoming tablet and looking back, as you did, at some of the things that Apple's done. I think that a lot of times people, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't really care for Apple. But I think even they fail to understand the significance of what Apple's done. How many different industries they've revolutionized and the fact that they may be revolutionizing more in the near future if rumors are to be believed. To revolutionize the computer industry is amazing. To revolutionize the music industry is amazing. And it really amazes me how few people seem to understand that they probably saved the music industry, or at least contributed greatly to saving it. It seems to me that they've revitalized the smartphone industry and completely changed the way we think of phones. I mean, to say phone now is archaic. It's a handheld computer. And, you know, I think that eventually we'll see the demise of the way phones work now and that it'll just be over the Internet. It'll be all VOAP, in my opinion. I would like to see that anyway. The carriers, of course, will fight that. And then I think that there's the potential for them to revolutionize media. They still can help play a part in revolutionizing TV, although so far with Apple TV, I don't think they've done enough. But they can certainly do that if they bring out a tablet. They can certainly do that if they bring out, you know, premium TV subscription models. Um, but they can certainly play a part in how the movie industry and certainly the publishing industry changes and adapts to the things that are happening around them. I think they could play a huge part in how the publishing industry changes and how people read books. Can you imagine if you had a device that had a screen that was 10 inches? There's a lot of them rumor about the tablet. But can you imagine if you had a device like that and you could carry all your school books in it? And that'd be amazing. 
And at the same time, you could use that for internet access, taking notes and doing all kinds of other things, even recording a class. You could be taking notes in class and you could, uh, you know, put your own annotations in there, be it voice or, you know, video or text. I don't know if you've heard of a product product called Memory Miner, but it's written by a gentleman named John Fox. It lets you take your pictures and annotate them with locations, geotagging data, you know, maps, uh, people. You can put videos and all kinds of things you can associate with each photo, and then you can make a slideshow out of it. Very interesting. But what if you could do that same kind of thing with books and with you know, your schoolwork and carry all of it with you in one device? So I think there will be another revolution coming up. I think people just simply don't give Apple enough credit for, for the amazing fact that they've done this multiple times to several industries and how much it really has changed those things. People take it for granted. People take for granted iPhone-like phones now, but they forget that just two years ago it was a huge change in the way of thinking. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Keep up the great show, and can't wait to hear the next one. Hope this got to you in time. Thanks, Tim. Bye. And thank you, Scott. You know, I think you bring up valid points all the way around. Uh, One of the things you didn't bring up, though, is not only did they if this tablet is true, and I think we pretty much all know it is at this point, um, but if it is, and Adam Angst and I talk about it uh, on the interview here in a few minutes as well, there's something else that Apple has that nobody else has ever had. Amazon comes close. And that's the delivery mechanism. Yes, you'll be able to download directly on the device, just like you can an iPhone. But they have the iTunes store infrastructure already in place. How much effort will it take Apple to flip a switch and start selling ebooks? Um, be it classroom books, school books for college students, uh, comic books, novels, magazines, newspapers. The infrastructure is already there on top of the fact that Apple likes to tell us that they have X X million number of users with active credit cards or PayPal accounts using iTunes. So you're not reaching out to a brand new demographic necessarily. You're not it's not like a startup that you have to find your customer and you have to draw them into this new shopping experience. It's already there. Apple's revolutionized buying digital goods online in a way, just like you were saying, Scott, in a way that nobody else has. And they don't get credit or enough credit for doing so. I think you're absolutely right. Apple saved the music industry. Uh, I think they save the music industry from themselves. In other words, they save the music industry from the music industry. And I think they're poised to do the same thing, possibly with movies, but hopefully in publishing. Speaking of publishing, let's jump to our interview with Adam Angst, and uh, I'll be back after that interview. Here you go. And I'm joined by Adam Angst. It's almost, well, let's see, this April will be the 20-year anniversary, Adam, 
of tidbits. Can you believe it's been that long? (laughs) No, I cannot. I, I I never I never believed that I would be doing tidbits uh, twenty years later when we started. Uh, of course, I didn't believe we were necessarily going to be doing it a year later or two years later, and it just <laughs> kept going on me. But you know, here's the thing: a lot of people come up with ideas and they'll build a website or they'll start a, a digital download um, e-zine back in the day, is what they were called. Or if you want to go even farther back, people would create these paper e-zines, and they never lasted long. And they were what they were, and people kind of ran out of steam, and they stopped doing it. Yeah, You didn't run out of steam. In fact, you keep innovating, it seems to me, almost every year. Tidbits gets bigger and better. Uh, I'm looking at your site now. You're on the Kindle. You're on the iPhone, obviously on the web. Um, I'm going to assume that if this mystical creature of a tablet that (laughs) Apple (laughs) releases comes out, you'll be on that too. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of one of the rules that we've had with Tidbits since the very early days was to try to provide Tidbits in as many places, formats, platforms as are reasonable. And so, you know, back in the day, that meant being on Usenet, having a mailing list, uploading to the InfoMac archives, um, you know, sort of all the different things. I mean, heck, you want to go, you know, dig, dig back even further into people's memories. You know, we, we were on CompuServe. We were on AOL. We were on Genie. We were on Delphi. eWorld. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, actually, eWorld was the first time I discovered tidbits when I was uh, fledgingly trying to start up my Mac magazine. Mm-hmm. And I went and found the other publications that were out there. And there was two that kind of blew me away and almost dissuaded me of doing it myself because I thought, well, if they're doing this already, I why am I even going to bother? <laughs> and that was MacSense and that was Tidbits. And MacSense, mm-hmm. of course, is long gone. Yeah. Uh, but here's yeah. Tidbits 20 years later. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I said some of the – back then it was, it was just it, – you know, it really was all the electronic venues and those just – dropped by the wayside but you know i remember when we managed to finally get a comp account for a for apple apple link um because apple link uh cost 37 dollars an hour wow and so you did not get onto apple link unless you basically were a reseller or you know or someone who wasn't really paying in, in in the full way and uh, and so and then yeah, obviously eWorld and, and all of those, and you know you know more recently for you know for a long time we we pulled back on that a little bit and and used basically a text format that could be read by just about anything, and and you know obviously we still send that out via email, but you know then appearing on the web, being making our pack, back issues available to the FTP, and you know although it took us a little longer than we would have liked, you know getting on the iPhone and the Kindle. In you know, in a real way, not just the oh yes, you can read our RSS feed or you can receive our email. What do you think is the number one people, uh, the number one way people are consuming your content now? Oh, still straight email. Is no it question. straight email? Yeah, we our our email list is is somewhere between thirty and thirty one thousand. It's awesome, and that is you know just guaranteed every week. Uh, in comparison, you know, probably second would in fact be. Uh, RSS. We've been getting an ever-increasing number of RSS users, and I think we were at we're between fifteen and twenty thousand now. 
And so that's kind of a big deal. Um, the web is actually, interestingly, despite the fact that we really, really like kind of innovating on our website and doing cool stuff on our website, it's actually not a huge venue for us most of the time. Um, it requires, uh, you know, for the website to get a lot of hits requires, frankly, that we be, you know, slashed out it or something like that. Right. Where suddenly, you know, 20,000 people will appear in one day. <laughs> To read one article and then to they read move one on. Article. Yeah, hey, right, precisely. They're they're utterly worthless as as far as like ads and and you know sort of loyal readership and all of that. But we although really if you like can convert a few of those mob hit wonders over to the the newsletter, it's yeah. worth it. And and we have actually you know thoughts about how to do that. We're we're in the process of bringing um, a, a new account management system online that will serve both tidbits and take control. And that will allow us to do some things that really haven't been possible in the past, such as really encouraging, you know, like if we get slashed at it, having a slightly different presentation on the page those people appear on, encouraging them to sign up for the email or download the app or, or just do something to inter 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 interact with us more in the future. When I was growing up, uh, I'm from the Midwest factory Rust Belt area. If you got into a certain factory you worked there for life. Mm, yeah. That kind of changed, I think, in the 80s and the 90s. People were jumping job to job to job. Um, with the economy the way it is today, I think it's kind of going back the old way a little bit. People are looking for security. But it seemed to me that a lot of people would jump into something new, do it for a while, get bored, and move on. How do you, how have you kept your passion <laughs> For 20 years writing about the Macintosh. I mean, I've been doing it for 15, so I kind of understand, but 20 years, that, that is quite a milestone. How do you keep that passion going? Well, honestly, the, the, the trick is that I have a short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do, too. What's your name again? <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah. Uh, but, but seriously, that... You know, and I, actually, I've been saying this for 20 years, but that was that's why I like sort of the weekly the weekly model as opposed to doing it you know absolutely snap snap every bit of news that comes through because we get to do different things you know so i will jump from looking really deeply into you know uh the power consumption of mac pros to um trying to figure out why google um you know google earth uh, uh, has a scheduler that people don't like and things like that so you know those are in fact articles I never even wrote. You know, there are things I put a lot of time into at one point, but uh, but you know, I really didn't didn't ever quite finish it off because it wasn't quite what well, didn't quite work out. You know, the article wasn't. I really do. I, I understand that exactly. Now, but it keeps me going. Tidbits has always been the home for as long as I could remember of thought out, well written, great writers. How do you attract those writers to tidbits? Well, I mean, honestly, most of people we quote-unquote attracted to bits are people we've known for other reasons. And so, you know, Matt Newberg, for instance, who was a wonderful writer, he was my classics professor at Cornell. Oh, wow, really? And yeah, so I've known Matt, you know, for a very long time. Met Mark Anbinder, um, who doesn't write for us a huge amount, but uh, he was actually an undergrad with us at Cornell. We didn't know him particularly well um, during when we were undergrads, but afterwards we were both in the Mac, Mac user group. And he, you know, he kept 
Tidbits Running back when we moved from Ithaca to Seattle the first time in 1991, and um, and you couldn't just get another internet connection. No, <laughs> it took us a while to find one. Um, you know, Glenn Fleischman. You know, we we connected with very early on in the Tidbits days, and sort of just got to know him more. Great and more. writer. And you know, so I think what it really comes down to, though, is that Tidbits doesn't really have a formula. We're so you allow them to write what they're passionate about? Precisely. Write mm-hmm. what you want, and I will basically never cut someone's article. Mm-hmm. You know, that I won't say, that's too long. You know, I mean, Joe Kissel's a perfect example of that. Joe <laughs> loves to write these incredibly long, detailed articles that go into every imaginable, de- you know, depth, in-depth yeah, detail. 15,000 words. And- yeah. I mean, we actually, we, I, I couldn't submit a number of, of Joe's articles to this best technology writing contest that Yale University Press was having because they, their limit was 5,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's you know, just the introduction, Joe. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, so, but so I guess, so I think a lot of it is, is that, you know, and even when I, even when we get someone new who writes for us, you know, I say, yeah, it'd be, it'd be good if it was somewhere between, you know, 5k and 12k mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a sort of a sweet spot for me but you know you write what you have to write and i will edit it and you know and occasionally i'll say you know this paragraph really doesn't do anything uh let's cut it but uh but you know i'm never editing for space and and you know at some point i can't even remember the date exactly when we finally gave up on making our email issues under 30k <laughs> that was an important an important cutoff point because if they got larger than that with headers and and everything they would sometimes bounce at certain gateways email gateways couldn't handle more than 32k sometimes that's right and so once we we gave up on that you know our issues range now from about 30k to 60k each week which is still nowadays with broadband connection is like pick done uh, yeah Oh yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I feel like you know, it, it, it sometimes feel like uh, you know our attempts to 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 conserve bandwidth are just ridiculously pointless. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> when I was getting into the digital publication, uh, I used DocMaker for my Mac, and I remember the first issue that went over one megabyte, yeah. and I literally freaked out. We it cannot be this big. It it cannot be this big, and I went through with a butcher's knife and just slashed a bunch of graphics to get it underneath that mystical one megabyte range because that was just too big yeah well even now with our take control ebooks you know i put a not a fair amount at this point i've got it pretty well automated but i put effort into reducing the size Mm -hmm. because you know and most of our books end up being in the you know one and a half to four megabyte size range um but you know we do some we do a little bit of work to to bring that down um macworld with their super guides because they have a different production method they're working in in um in indesign instead of instead of word and have much more graphics and things like that their books are often in the you know the 10 to 12 megabyte range and you know it's not really a problem, but every now and then you get someone who doesn't have a fast internet connection and is really unhappy at being yeah. Let's talk about uh, Take Control. When did the Take Control ebook series start and why did you start it? Well, it was back in 2003, um, just before the release of Panther. And we basically, you know, Tanya and I had been talking about sort of what to do, not so much next because we weren't going to stop doing tidbits, but, you know, she was. Uh, Coming off, you know, she'd been she'd been kind of doing little things here and there after kind of uh, ending the the uh, mommy hiatus, mm-hmm. and you know we were trying to figure out you know what 
new thing could we do? And between us, we have done you know pretty much everything there is to do in the world of publishing. You know, we've done online, we've done magazine, we've done book, we've done writing, we've done editing, we've done not so much layout in terms of design, but you know, my iPhoto books for Peach Pit, I actually do all the layout in InDesign. So we have all of the skills between us. And like all authors, we believe that publishers are basically stupid and don't market our books nearly well enough. So <laughs> you don't say. I, I can guarantee you every author believes this implicitly. I do. I am an author, and I believe that as well. And, and now that we're publishers, we're like, yeah, well, you know, let me tell you the real story. Yes. <laughs> but, but any event, so we thought we can just do this. And, and this is, you know, 2003, so PDF was sufficiently ubiquitous at that point. You know, we were pretty certain that everyone was going to be able to read PDF. And we looked into some other, other things like doing the books as HTML pages and, you know, some of the, the formats where you'd need a reader for it. And we just, we weren't happy with them. Um, back then, and this is less, much less true now, um, but back then we felt fairly strongly that people needed to buy a thing. They needed yeah, to have... a physical item. Yeah, and so, you know... Uh, so, for instance, actually, we go to we'll go to some lengths with our ebooks that you cannot view them in your web browser. If you know, like Safari, will view a PDF. Right. When you download it, you get a zip file, and that's slightly it makes it a little bit smaller. But the reason we do it is so that you are guaranteed to get that file on your hard disk. Right, because if it opens up in Safari, they may not realize you just go yep. up to save as. Precisely. Yes. And so, so we do a lot of a lot of little tweaky things like that. Um, to to increase in you know back then particularly to increase the thingness and um and I mean the iTunes music store started in 2003 and and the big debate at the time was will people buy digital music because it's not on a physical hard drive so the same thing was happening with you precisely yeah. and and I think now people are much more um accepting of things that are sort of in the cloud or, you know, you don't quite have, but you sort of have, you know, like, I mean, just think about iPhone apps. I mean, you buy them, but where are they? You never actually see them. You never manipulate a thing. They just sort of appear. Yeah, they're on your screen. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and you know, and obviously there is a download process for those. I mean, you are literally downloading them, but, you know, also people have gotten used to Google Docs and, um, you know, various websites where you may need, a, may need to log in to do things. All that's become much more reasonable over the last, you know, six, six years. So that was, that was, you know, the idea was, hey, we can do this differently. And we changed the business model as well, which was, I think, an important uh, realization. I mean, in the publishing world, normally what happens is, is let's say you write a $30 book. You know, it's going to sell for $30 in the bookstore. The bookstore buys that book for $15 right. on average, about half price. And the author will um, typically earn about 10% of that selling price, that half price. So on a $30 book, the author earns $1.50. Yep. And, you know, if and he's made, lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. I mean, those, those are, that's actually for an established author. Yes. You know, not a best-selling author, but you're established. You've done it before. If you haven't done it before, you may, you know, you may get you know, a really low advance. You may be asked to do work for hire where you get no royalties. Mm -hmm. you, may, you may only make 5%. You know, there's, there's all sorts of ways that authors do badly. Um, and so we said, okay, we're going to change this. We're going to say that the author and the publisher are equally important, and we're going to do it a 50-50 split. That's a good deal. Even yeah, if you sold yeah. half the books that you would have in a bookstore, you're going to make significantly more money as the author. And we said, you know, 
And $30 is just too much for a book. Our books are going to be shorter, one, so they should be cheaper. And two, we don't have any overhead. You know, these electrons are basically free when it comes right down to it. <laughs> That's right. So, so we're going to charge at the time. You know, initially we started at five dollars, um, and then you know, as the book that was books were a little shorter even yet in the the very first one, first couple. And then we decided, no, 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 it really has to be ten dollars because five dollars just doesn't leave you enough room for doing a sale, for instance. And so, and ten dollars is pretty much where most of our books are now. We have a few that are really long that uh, that we've bumped up to fifteen. Um, just because you know they're pushing you know 200 pages or whatnot. Sure. So, but you you do the math, and even after you take out you know 11 percent or whatever for transaction fees and all of the you know running of the cart and everything, right. the authors are still earning you know two times or more than they would on a normal book. And no, we're not going to necessarily sell as many as a physical book might, but the average number of average sales on, on technical books in the Mac market these days, you know, not that good. You know, and you know from the, the reader standpoint, if I buy a take control book, it's going to be up to date because if something changes with the software or hardware that the author wrote about, he can make changes and, and have an updated book into uh, into you almost immediately. Yeah, we you know we've actually you know put a lot of effort into making it easy for people to get more information. Um, so we have actually several stages of that, where um, you know we can we can post information on our website and there's a there's a check for updates button in every book, and you click that. You know, and that's sort of just blog style information. The author's saying, "Hey, here's stuff that's changed. Um, you know, maybe there's some errata. You know, we some found you know just a typo that's not worth putting out a whole new PDF for that kind of thing." But at some point, enough has changed, and the author says, "You know, I'm I'm uncomfortable with this. It's mm -hmm. you know what we're selling is not accurate enough." And let me tell you, in the paper world. That is a terrible feeling. Oh yes, because Absolutely. you just know that even if people buy your book, which they're, you know they're going to do less, because the book, to your mind, it looks completely out of date, even though probably readers don't know that. But it, the sales will go down, and people are going to be less happy because they will read it and they go, "Ah, oh, that's not right. You know, that doesn't match my screenshots. You know, yes. what's the difference?" So you know, so that's when we'll do. Um, what we now have have settled on is what we call an inter uh, uh, an interim update. So you know that's we go from 1.0 to 1.1, 1.2, 1.5, and those updates are always free. And it's basically we're just saying we need you to be up to date with this stuff. Sure, absolutely. And and sometimes they're actually fairly major. So you know we had um, or or they'll or they'll be a little weird. So for instance, we did a free update for take control of syncing data in Leopard after Snow Leopard had come out. Mm. Now, the reason we did that was because so much had changed in the syncing world, you know, with iTunes and Google Calendar and BusySync and things like that, that, that we just felt that whether or not you upgraded to Snow Leopard, that book needed to be brought up to date. Sure. And, and, and you know, to be fair, we also were going to use that information and take control of syncing data in Snow Leopard, which was going to to be a new book that would work for Snow Leopard users. And we weren't going to get rid of this the Leopard book because, hey, some people weren't going to upgrade. They had a power PC. They're still using Leopard. Yeah, they're not going past 10.5 at all, ever. <laughs> yep. So, And so it's just so nice to be able to, you know, when we do, we do do a full new edition where there's a lot more work or, you know, we have to change the title because it's from Tiger to Leopard to Snow Leopard, something like that. You know, we do charge for those. But again, unlike normal books, because we know who our customers are, 
we say, hey, look, you already have read some earlier edition of this book. We're going to give you a discount. Yeah, good you luck know, doing that in the regular publishing industry. Yeah, you just you, you have no way of doing it. You don't know who your customers mm-hmm. are. And so we can just do things that are different that, that you know, frankly, make us happy. Because <laughs> that's the way we would like to be treated. Sure. And I think that's an important part of your success, that you're doing things that make you happy or would make you happy if you're dealing with it from the consumer side. So you're bringing that over to the business side. And I think it shows. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the, the trick, honestly, is when we started this in 2003, we were, you know, falling off the cutting edge. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, now if you look at what people like Peach Pit and O'Reilly are doing. They're trying to catch up to you. Well, honestly, they've more or less caught up. You know, their ebooks aren't as good as ours because they are not making ebooks. They are making print books that they convert. Yeah. Those electronic files. And so And it always shows too. Yeah. They don't, you know, it doesn't look as good on screen. It's not cuz it's not designed for screen. They don't have lots of internal links. They don't necessarily have bookmarks. You know, the URLs aren't necessarily hot. Things like that. I mean, well, their their whole business model up to this point has been putting ink to pulp and selling that. And to be fair, they are um I mean, I saw something recently that on the O'Reilly website, they sell more ebooks than they do print books. Yeah. Uh. You know, I think so, that's a trend that's only going to continue, too. Yep. I mean, let me tell you, being a physical bookstore is not a business I would like to be in right now. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love a good bookstore. I like spending time there. Or, you know, I'll buy books there. But, but man, I, I would not want to be them. <laughs> no. So exactly a month from today, I'll actually be, uh, well, let's see, it's uh, 11.30 a.m., so I'll <laughs> be somewhere probably over the Rockies at this point, winding my way to San Francisco. I assume that you're going to be there as well. Uh, yes, indeed. And we're talking about the Macworld Expo. What are your plans for Macworld this year? Honestly, we're planning to treat it a lot like we normally do, um, with the expectation that it's going to be a little bit easier, thanks to not having to cover huge Apple announcements while we're traveling. Yes. I, you know what? That, <laughs> a lot of people are saying it's horrible that Apple's not going to be there, but from a journalistic standpoint, it makes it easier. Yeah. Honestly, having Apple, I mean, the only good thing from the journalist standpoint that, about having Apple there was you got to see a big flashy keynote. Yeah. Because, cause, you know, I'm not going to fly to California for an iPod announcement or an iPhone announcement or the mythicals, iSlate or whatever it's going to be. It's just too much money. Yeah. You know, to fly in for a couple hours. No, and I agree. And, and even though you fly in half the time, they don't allow you to touch it anyway. So yeah, you never know. And and so yeah, so it's not it's just not worth it. So that it was nice to be to to sort of get the keynote experience. But I've done it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you go down to the floor and you can touch the things just like you can in any Apple store. And sometimes it's useful that you can talk to specific Apple people, but often you can't, you know, you don't get a briefing with the right guy or, or you know. You and they're guarded on what they're going to say to, regardless. I mean, it's, yeah. it's always going to be PR speak. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of people, you know, I actually really like briefings with uh, Greg Joswiak, Jaws, um, because, man, he, he's a straight shooter. He will tell you stuff. <laughs> and, and I just, you know. I just really like it when you get to talk to someone who is not just feeding you the spiel. But you never know what you're going to get. And so really, from, from, the, from my perspective, I'm actually quite happy Apple's not going to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, I can understand that. 
makes my life a lot easier. So when you yeah. say you're going to do the regular stuff, uh, what does that entail? Oh, that, that, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Basically, that means I go down to the floor and I walk around for a minute or two. I see someone I know and I stop and talk to them for 20 minutes. Yep, and that happens. Lather, repeat. rinse, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know that feeling all too well. But, <laughs> so, you know, I like that feeling myself. I like being stopped on the showroom floor and someone saying, hey, and then you have a nice conversation. So, I mean, the pedants among my social networking followers have pointed out that because Apple's not there, fewer other people are going to be there, so I won't see as many people. And it's like, well, yeah, but you never know who you're going to see. I mean, it's always a crapshoot. Absolutely. So that's what's fun about it. I mean, you're wandering around. It's who has happen to make it make it and who you happen to run into there's always people who i miss who i know are at the show but i never see i mean actually it'll be amusing if i get to see jason snell of mac world mm-hmm. you know great friends with jason we love seeing jason and normally our time with jason at mac world is you know kind of seeing each other in a hallway as we're both rushing to opposite meetings yes like hi jason bye jason you know <laughs> so i'm actually kind of looking forward to the possibility of being able to you know have a conversation with jason slow it down a little bit absolutely <laughs> so you know so i think that that there will you know there will be plenty to write about because the fact is there are going to be lots of companies there with interesting things i agree and you know if there aren't you know as many as there have been in previous years Okay, I can I can live with that. You know, I've 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 seen expos that were big and I've seen expos that were small and yeah, the last Macworld Boston was really too small. Um but uh but I do think that there will be plenty to do and you know, horrors if there's not we're in San Francisco. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I can I can amuse myself in San Francisco. Yeah, that's not very difficult to do. No. So and so no, I I am you know, I can fully understand why some companies have, may have chosen not to go. Um, you know, that if if we were exhibiting, uh, you know, the, the equations change. Um, you know, but the fact is, is that there will be plenty for me to do for the cost-benefit um, analysis to be totally worthwhile. The last time I talked to Paul Kent on my last show, uh, the idea was brought up of after this Macworld Expo, providing that there's going to be another one after this year, and I hope there is, um, the, the possibility of moving it out of San Francisco to a smaller arena, mm. um, an Austin, Texas, or an Indianapolis type of venue where yeah. it, it's – because let's be honest, it's very expensive to go to San Francisco – and it's going to cost a lot more because you have huge union fees. The hall is super expensive. But if you set up in a smaller arena, say in Austin or, like I said, Indianapolis, it's going to be less expensive for IDG. Thus, they can pass some of those savings on to the exhibitors, to the people coming to the show. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, you know, I love going to San Francisco, but uh, you know, I would I would be happy with uh, with another another venue. Um, frankly, as long as it's an interesting place, you know, yeah. That's <laughs> well, that's why I suggested Austin because I yeah. I like that area. The only problem with Austin is uh, my experience is actually very hard to fly there. Mm-hmm. It's one of those places you can't quite get to. That's right. Uh, I was I was invited to speak at a conference in Austin many years ago, back when we lived in Seattle, and I kind of looked at. It, I was like, you know, but I, I'd have to spend like the entire day flying to get there because <laughs> you had to you could not get direct flights to Austin from anywhere but San Jose. Um, that was the the one place, and so it was just 
it was very tricky. But but yes, and I agree. I would actually love to go to love to go to Austin, you know, and, and it would be nice if they did it, you know, in a time when Austin was nicer than the rest of the, the rest of the world. Yes. And and preferably not in like August or something because it right. would just be Precisely. too hot. You know, I don't, don't want to go to uh, to to Texas in August if I can possibly avoid it. No. I however did a, a user group meeting in Dallas once in February, left Ithaca when it was minus 2 and uh, got to got to Dallas where it was 74. It was quite a shock. Yeah, that that's a change right there. So, but no, I, I mean, I, the one thing I will say, and, and, and uh, there's been much uh, nattering, the nattering nabobs of Twitter um, about, you know, how Macworld is going to be terrible or Macworld's going to be fine or whatever. I'm following and, the same people. I know exactly who you're, you're talking about. And, you know, and, and I, um, you know, I, I don't, qu- in some sense, I don't quite know why they're doing it. Um, Weren't they saying the same thing last year? Because Apple announced that it was going to be their last Macworld before yeah. Macworld, and the same people were saying the same things. And honestly, I guess maybe I've been doing this stuff long enough, um, and I have enough to keep my keep me busy that I'm actually relatively uninterested in speculating these days. Uh, I'm kind of with you there. You know, it's just like, well, let's go and find out. Yep. We'll see what it's like. I'm perfectly happy for you know to 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 have an opinion when something is happening. I feel that way about the tablet. Am I so everybody yeah. wants to talk about the tablet, and I, quite honestly, I'm bored with the subject. Uh, <laughs> what am, what can I possibly say on this podcast about this jade elephant that everybody else is already saying? And until yeah. it actually comes out, it's just to me not really worth talking about. No, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where the the more you speculate, the more it's hard both to meet expectations or to even be be moderately real with anything. Yes. And and so you're know, like, well, I don't know what's not what what Macworld Dex is going to be like. It could be great, it could be lousy. And, you know, you know what I think will be interesting is whether or not IDG has done either as much as they could have or enough to say we're no longer hampered by having this 800-pound gorilla in the room, mm-hmm. and so we're going to do things really differently <clears throat> in an interesting and new way. Because let's face it, the reason why Apple, or one of the reasons why Apple dropped out, there's certainly many of them, all of which are actually pretty good, is that trade shows really aren't what they used to be. No, they're and not. So, the internet's changed all that, though. Yeah. And so, so I mean, if, if you are rethinking a trade show for the modern world, you do things differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if IDG is able to do that, is, is, understands that sufficiently, um, or, you know, will prove to be capable of doing what they even believe they want to do. Time will and, tell. Well, yeah, time will tell. But, you know, we see other conferences, like um, there's a wonderful little programmers conference called C4 in mm-hmm. Chicago. Yep. And um, to give you an idea of, of the popularity of this conference, I forget what the limit was. It was like 300 or 500 or something like that. Relatively small conference, but programmers. Um, it sold out in, I believe, four hours. Unheard of nowadays. Right. And, you know, I mean, you just couldn't, I mean, you had to know when, you know, you had to know that this thing was happening, you know, instantly and make up your mind. And so that says to me that a conference that meets the needs of the people of the audience can be a huge success. Before we wrap up and let you go today, I have this thing that we're doing new on the show. It's called This or That. 
There's no wrong answer. It's just your opinion. (laughs) I'll give you a choice, and and you pick one. Sometimes you can't pick one. Sometimes you have to pass the buck and say, I don't don't know. (laughs) An example, I could say black or white, and you would say white because you like white cars or – it's sort of that. So we'll, we'll get started. Four of these would be tech-related. One won't be. Okay. So the first one is laptop or desktop? Hmm. Can Next, I say both? You, you can say both. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want both because, I mean, the fact of the matter is is that when I'm really doing my work, I want two big monitors. Mm-hmm. And um, – but – I would really, really, really like to just have a laptop that gave me all the do- all the monitor space I wanted when I was at a desk. And it's sort of possible this thing called the Vibook now, um, but it wasn't really possible in, um, at the sizes I wanted and the the you know the, the performance and everything until quite recently. Right. So the Vibook Plus actually, which just came out, um, you know, actually makes it possible to you could um, attach another monitor via USB, so you can run two big monitors from say a MacBook. Gotcha. Number two. Twitter or Facebook? Oh, Twitter. Twitter. I hate Facebook. <laughs> Do you really? You hate Facebook. I know that you push your your Twitter feeds over to your Facebook side, though. Yeah, yeah, because that way I don't have to use Facebook. Yep. In fact, when I <laughs> when I emailed you initially to uh, to be on the show today, I actually used Facebook, and you're like, ah, email me. <laughs> well, and the only reason why I knew about knew about the message was because Facebook sent it to me via email. Yep, I got you. And I get so, the same thing. Yeah. And so, no, the the fact of the matter is that. Um, Facebook does not have the necessary asymmetry. Mm-hmm. So in Twitter, I can follow the people who I'm interested in, and they can, people who are interested in me can follow me, and the two are completely could be completely different sets. Oh, they, it is for me. And and on Facebook, you know, I have to allow everyone to be my friend, and thus they're my friend, and I have to somehow be connected to them, even though I don't actually have the foggiest idea who they are. <laughs> but I decided, you know, I decided long ago, or not all that long ago at this point, but I said with Facebook, I just couldn't figure out what to do. I mean, it was easy, you know, if someone actually was a person I really knew in the real world, then yeah, it was no problem to, to say yes. But I decided that you know, if someone friends me on Facebook and we have mutual friends, I can usually tell kind of the venue they're in. Oh, that's a person from a Mac user group or that's a person from publishing or whatever. Um, I, I will accept that. But uh, um, the, only, the only people who I will specifically not accept are people who I just totally can't figure out how, you know, how they found me or why they know me. We have no mutual friends and likely they're Turkish. I get and- that with LinkedIn. Yeah, I don't get too many random ones on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I will actually accept most people just randomly because if, you know, someone sent me an email out of the blue, said, you know, something like, I read your website, you know, that's all the introduction they need, and I'm trying to find someone who would help me with this, I'd probably try to help them. Yeah, I accept everyone on LinkedIn, but I, I look at some of the people and what their backgrounds are, and I think... A, how did you find me? And and B, why do you want to be connected to me? Because we have absolutely nothing in common, but why not? Yeah, precisely. So yeah, so that's why I'm that's why I'm not a not a not a big fan of Facebook. Um, and so pretty much the way I use Facebook as is as a uh, um, a way of showing my Twitter feed to people on Facebook. And then if they rep- respond to me there, I will you know potentially carry on a conversation on Facebook. But I, you know, maybe once a month or so, we'll go into actually f- and use Facebook itself. <laughs> Number three, Safari or Firefox. 
Firefox. Firefox. That was a quick one. Firefox. Um, yeah. The the basic problem with Safari. Well, there's a couple of problems with Safari, um, but the really really big one is that its address bar is not nearly smart enough. Mm-hmm. Um, in Firefox, I just type into the address bar, and it figures out what I want. It just and knows. It just knows, and it works brilliantly. Um, the having the address bar in Safari be as limited as it is, and then having to think, oh no, no, I need to go over to the Google search box and do a Google search, and it's just not. It's just too much trouble. And um, I've actually been using Chrome, uh, Google Chrome, quite a bit recently as well, just to test it out. And it's it's not finished yet by any stretch of the imagination, but it has even dropped the Google search box entirely. You just type into the address bar. And it's intelligent enough to know whether this is a website I want to go to or I'm asking a question. Precisely. Hmm. Um, basically, it's really, I mean, in most cases, it's really very simple. If you put a space in, you're probably typing words. And, you know, and it'll start guessing at sites. It'll start guessing at, um, you know, if it can't guess anything reasonably, it just sends you to Google. Um, and if it's just one word, it will probably guess at a domain. Yeah, if I, if I type in eBay, I probably don't want a news story about eBay. I right. probably want to go there and buy something. And my experience is both Firefox and, and Chrome are uh, extremely accurate in that attempt to be helpful. You know, that, that very seldom do I type something in and go, no, no, that's not what I want. That's uh, the sign of good software. Yes. Number four, the last tech-related one before we get to the personal one, point-and-shoot or DSLR? Point-and-shoot. Point-and-shoot. Much as, much, as, uh, much as I would love to, uh, to have the time and uh, uh, energy to actually, you know, take serious photos, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I want a DSLR. I want the one that does, you know, 1080p and looks gorgeous and video yep. as well. But when am I going to use it? I want to be that person, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm with you. So, I'm with you so exactly. Jeff Carlson, who who's our managing editor with Tidbits, um, he got he got into photography and became that person, and he takes gorgeous photos now. And um, I would love to, but the fact is that. Um, the the camera that I use is the camera that's in my pocket, and um, and basically, increasingly, it's actually becoming the iPhone. Not Same because, here. You know, it takes good photos at all, but because well, I didn't happen to bring my camera on this particular outing. wasn't planning on taking pictures in any way, but when I do plan to take pictures, um, I'm currently using a, a Canon PowerShot SD870, and um, and basically, I have I, you know, way back when when my uh, my son was first born, he needed a digital camera. I had a Apple um, uh, Quick Take. Gosh. Quick Take, yes, mm-hmm. Quick Take. Um, before that, and so the Canon PowerShot 100 had just come out, and I got that and loved it. And every time I've needed to buy a new camera since then, I sort of look at what's available and buy the next buy the current Canon. Canon, yeah. So you know, because it's if nothing else, the interface is the same, and so I can you know keep using them very. They just keep getting better. The Canons do. Yeah, so we've had the we had the 100, we had the we have a 200. No, we had the went from the 100 to the 400 to the 870, and then when we went to Wales a year and a half ago, um, I got my son a 780 or something, again so that we could share batteries. Mm-hmm. You know, so batteries and memory cards, so we, you know, it was we didn't have to bring an extra charger, and just life was going to be easier. And um, and then he needed something that had image stabilization, obviously, because being a kid, he's not great holding the camera steady. So you know, but 
good cameras and uh you know it would take something fairly significantly better to get me to switch away from canon just from the standpoint of you know how to use them they they're loyal yeah yeah last one not mac related at all or technology related coffee or tea (laughs) uh neither neither I don't drink. I don't do hot drinks particularly. If I do have hot drinks, I have a hot drink. It'll almost always be tea, um, simply because uh, I'm a high energy person and I don't do caffeine. Ah, so um, it just pushes have, you over the edge. It doesn't push me over the edge. It tosses me over the edge <laughs> with um, no parachute. I don't. Yeah, I don't do caffeine. I don't drink colas. I don't drink soda. Um, basically, of any sort. If I do, it'll be ginger ale or root beer. Um, and uh, and you know, if I, I mean, I like coffee just fine. I don't dislike the flavor of anything. And it's all have decaf every now and then. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty f- few and far between. And certainly, there's absolutely no you know kind of daily ritual or anything like that. Uh, but uh, but I'm also a runner, so I drink a lot of water. <laughs> So if the listeners out there, Adam, wants to learn more about you, where should they go and what should they look at? Well, the, the main place, of course, is Tidbits, um, www.tidbits.com. And um, the, if, you, uh, if you want to learn more about me specifically, you can go to tidbits.com slash Adam. Um, the, there's also, uh, if you could click on any of the articles I've written, um, written for Tidbits, there's a bio that pops up. But, um, and then uh, for Take Control, um, it's the URL is www.takecontrolbooks.com. Takecontrol.com is some kind of fake butter, I believe. <laughs> really? I've never yes. been there myself. It, and, and, you know, whatever mega conglomerate owns the, owns the trademark for that has had it forever, so we've never been able to get it. No. So takecontrolbooks.com gets you there. And you're on the Twitter? I'm on the Twitter. Pretty much um, any, any place where you want to find me, I am Adam Angst. All Adam Angst. Not, not a lot of competition for that name, I take it. There, there is, in fact, one other person I know named Adam Angst. Um, and I believe he, in the past, played in a band called Mini Kiss. I believe he is, <laughs> he is a, a midget. Um, no I, way, I, really? I, I believe this to be the case. I'm going to um, have I, to research that because I want to see little Adam Anks now. <laughs> I, I don't think that Mini Kiss is still around, um, but I, I remember running into this at some point. Because, you know, we all have our doppelgangers sure. on the internet. You know, people with the same name, and um, and I remember when I first you know did a, a search on myself and like mini kit, what the heck? And it like, oh my goodness! But I, I actually this guy has friended me on Facebook, so uh, so I so I know he exists in some form or fashion now. Yeah, my he, wife befriended on Facebook like five other people with her her same name. Yeah, and I said, well, why did you do that? She said, well, they have my name. I'm like, well, so what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but she, that's, yeah. Well, I, I don't question it anymore. In some cases, it's useful because, um, because you may get things meant for the other. Yeah, that's true, uh, I guess. And in this case, I, I, you know, I get, I'm, I'm easily Googleable. <laughs> yeah. No one's tried to, to book you for a concert for a mini kiss, though. No, no, it's true, and uh, and I've never heard from this guy that you know he's he gets confused for a technical person, um, you know, <laughs> a tech writer at any time. But nonetheless, I think that is the uh, the the main. And there's, I mean, if your name is particularly unusual, like mine is, I just I don't know of any other Adam Anks in the country. Um, that there is sort of that that just sort of weird. Gee, I wonder what this person is like. Yes. You know, that does isn't is I mean if your name is John Smith, yeah, whatever. 
but but you know if you if you have a, an unusual name, um, there's a woman I know whose name is um, uh, Marissa Avaram. Oh, that's different. Um, which is a palindrome. Huh. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's like if I were her, I would definitely want to know if there was anyone else with my name. Definitely. And you definitely want to get that URL. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's, so, so there are, I mean, names have a certain amount of power or they certainly can. And so I, I, I can see people wanting to know, you know, who else has their name. Adam, I want to thank you for being on the show this week and uh, spending quite a lot of time here talking about yourself and uh, what you're doing in Macworld Expo. And I look forward to seeing you in San Francisco, and I wish you all the best success. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you, and we'll we'll be uh, checking out all that's cool and new, even if uh, not everyone else is there. That's right. Only the cool kids this time. Only the cool kids, right. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Adam. Thanks, Tim. And thank you very much, Adam, for doing the uh, podcast today with me. Really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners will enjoy that conversation because, hey, you are a pioneer in this field, and uh, I I really uh, admire what you've done. Once again, for uh, the listeners out there, if you want to contact the show on Twitter, it's OWC Radio. Email podcast at maxsales.com. Or our phone number, 1-801-938-5559. And to close out the show, I do want to mention, um, you know, we, we don't have sponsors for the show. We have one. And that sponsor is Otherworld Computing. They make this show possible. Without OWC, OWC Radio doesn't exist. As such, I do like to uh, point out Reasons to go to MacSales.com. Are you looking for a new monitor? You know, I was because I was trying to do a lot of Final Cut Pro editing on my MacBook Pro. It's a brand new MacBook Pro. Um, the one that I'm using is the current model 15-inch MacBook Pro. Fast machine. Does everything I want it to do that I need it to do. But I do have one problem, and that's the screen size. Yes, I could have gone with a 17-inch screen, but I wanted, I like the 15-inch screen for almost everything that I do on it, except, except. The exception in this case is video editing. I do a lot of work in Final Cut Pro. And with Final Cut Pro, you have your slug and you have your viewer. So you're looking at two different video screens, plus all your editing, plus all your clips. It's just too much for a smaller 15-inch screen. I need something 20 to 24 inches at least. So if you go up to apple.com and you look on the Apple Store and you start looking at some of their monitors, let's say you want to get a 24-inch monitor. Apple will sell you one. And it's, don't get me wrong, this is a good monitor. They give you three USB ports on it. It's got the... uh, the mini display port connector on it. So you can use it with the current generation machines, but you can't use it with an old one without an adapter. Huh, not good. But here's the kicker. $899. What? Yeah, $899. You, folks, you can buy a brand new MacBook for that. Well, you can buy the education one, right? 24-inch flat panel Apple LED display, 
dollars. That's a lot of woo. That's a lot of money. How about instead of buying that, how about this? An Acer 24-inch widescreen white LED backlit TFT LCD display. That's right. Now, I've seen these monitors in action. They are brilliant. Bright, colorful, blacks look black, whites look white. $295.99. Say that again. $295. Full 1080p. That's right. You can watch full HD quality video on this. You want USB connectors? We have USB connectors. We've got four USB connectors on it. This thing is brilliant. DVI VGA connection. So it supports almost all the Macs out there. And with the right adapter, any Mac that's out there. And it is widescreen. This is beautiful. And even better. Are you serious? $295.99. Check it out at maxsales.com, www.maxsales.com. If you go there, make sure you check out the blogs. We have blogs up at maxsales.com. If you look on the main page right there at the top or towards the top, to the right of the search bar, it says OWC blogs, great content. Good post right now called Upgrade Your Wireless Network for 2010. A little farther down, suggested New Year's resolution from OWC Michael. Back up your photos and videos. That is a must read. And I've talked about that here on the podcast. You need to back up your information. So check it out, maxsales.com. I am Tim Robertson. Love to hear back from you. And if you listen this far, please go up to iTunes and uh, rate and review the show. I do go up there and I read uh, the comments that people have made, and I would really appreciate it if you could do that. I know it only takes a few seconds, uh, and I'd appreciate it. Thanks a lot. See you later this week. Mm-hmm.